Welcome back to the Realm Podcast. Here we are on episode four. As always, I am your host, Robert Williams. And uh, again, I am joined by Brian. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Thank you, Robert. Brian Waltemeyer, CEO, founder of DLT Alert, the first on-chain cyber warranty company. Okay. I like how you mentioned on-chain because that's very directly related to what we want to talk about today. Um, cool. So... Uh, obviously, I work with DLT as well, uh, and I'm aware that DLT uses blockchain. Um, and one of the things I wanted to kind of talk about to kind of dispel is this kind of R around blockchain, the crypto. Um, what, what, what to you, what is blockchain and why is it important, so to speak? Well, a blockchain blockchain is essentially like a transparent ledger, right? That, mm -hmm. that has immutable qualities. And you can think of it like a like a big Excel spreadsheet that many participants could use at the same time, but they can't make changes and there's validations and so forth. Um, it's useful because as a business process, it creates some transparencies. It creates the ability to have trusted data because one, it's transparent. So you could, so more than one participant could see the data. They can interact with that data. It's immutable. So you can't kind of go back on it or make changes to it. And it's in a digitized format. So it can be used for a number of different business processes that create a lot of efficiencies throughout a business, no matter what, what it might be used for. All right. Well, that's, that's fair. <laughs> um, so <laughs> kind of broad, but yeah. I mean, it's, it's broad. Well, it's, and, and that's kind of why I wanted to kind of dedicate an episode to talking about blockchain is that a lot of times when people hear blockchain, they think of the crypto bros, the crypto market, the Bitcoin rise sure. and fall. So, I mean, all that stuff is connected to blockchain and I want to just kind of you know, take a moment to talk about you know, what that is. I mean, is is blockchain really something that's just, oh, you know, all the crypto bros care about, or is it something that's useful that can be applied to other scenarios to be more useful rather than just, oh, hey, here's a ledger of so-and-so sent so-and-so some Bitcoin. All right. Yeah, no, it's a good point. It's, it's a good point. And to the crypto bros, I appreciate them because they are out there cheerleading and you know getting people to get involved in it maybe not in the most uh, risk adverse way you know True. buying this coin or that coin but at least they're bringing some awareness to it so i think True. i think that's a good thing but there is a strong distinction between some of these coins whether it's a SHIT coin or blockchain uh, Bitcoin and a, a project that is creating a layer one, like an Ethereum, right? Right. An Ethereum to have code encapsulated on chain to drive different processes. It's a very different scenario altogether, but they all get lumped into one, one thing. So when there's a lot of hype around it. Everyone's happy. Everyone's just buying these coins and thinking they're like stocks. They're not. And the coins represent a myriad of different functions 
within the universe, right? So blockchain itself is a coin. There's no centralized entity behind it. It uses blockchain to compute and transact the exchanges of the, of the coin between people. Then that's almost like a, like a digital gold or like a dollar, a digital dollar, something like that. And on the other side is really companies that are, are, are creating these projects, they call them, to facilitate different business processes using the blockchain as the foundation for their delivery mechanism. And it doesn't have any intended use as a currency. It's using a coin, as they call it, to provide some sort of exchange mechanism and to validate the transactions within its own system on its own blockchain, mm -hmm. right? So it's they're, they're two very different things, but they're all grouped together as blockchain. Oh, they're all like Bitcoin. There's a thousand Bitcoin. That's completely wrong. <laughs> right, like this. Bitcoin may have, Bitcoin, as far as I understand, doesn't really have, it's straight up a, a digital currency. And there are other crypto coins out there that have use that have right. that you know they have value utility. yeah right they have utility because they're used for something instead of just oh hey here i've got four or five uh, what is all that chain link tokens i'll send them over that may be a bad example because chain link tokens are actually a utility <laughs> as you've mentioned right um but that's always but no what you're saying is, is people treat them like it's some form of digitized asset when in a way it kind of is but that's not why it was created right right it's like it's almost like buying like some type of derivative financial derivative product on an underlying asset right which there's a market for that and there's a market for these utility tokens but the utility token in itself was designed to, like i said before to facilitate some form of a record of a transaction within the system that they've created, right? So it's an exchange of value between parties who are using this thing. It wasn't necessarily created for outright speculation or holding of the asset. Now, where it gets misconstrued is, is the more transactions that are happening within these networks or these projects, the more activity and the more value this the token is uh, receiving from the participants and people might look at that as well that's an external value kind of like a stock that i should hold or invest in that's up to them but that's not why it was designed it doesn't equate like an earn like a, like a price earnings in stock world or some type of valuation metric I guess you could try to value the activity of the, of the tokens, but again, it's not it's not supposed to be representative of ownership in the company. It's not even supposed to represent any type of ownership of the chain. It's itself or the project itself. It's just a tool that's being used to facilitate transactions on the chain. So people are using them as a token, like you would at a Chuck E. Cheese or anything <laughs> like that, to do something inherent process to the system that you're in at Chuck E. Cheese, you're using their token to play a game. 
Is there an external value for a Chuck E. Cheese token? Not that I'm aware of, right? So <clears throat> it's kind of the same thing, but they all get grouped together. And where we find a lot of interest is, yeah, Bitcoin's awesome, you know, advocate, love it. But the real excitement um, comes from what can be done with these processes and applications that are being built on all different types of blockchains. Right. So in your words, what challenges would you have or what challenges would you say there are when it comes to, I mean, like, a, like, a, like I mentioned at the top of the uh, podcast here, uh, DLT uses blockchain. So what sort of challenges do you see when it comes to kind of convincing people of utilizing the blockchain or having that be a process? Like, I mean, I, I mean, I could say I know how DLT uses the blockchain. It's to create the immutable records on chain. Um, but what, like, is, is it challenging to develop for the blockchain? Is it challenging to find investors who believe in blockchain or is it just kind of a niche market of just they like the blockchain they hear blockchain they're like oh hey okay take my money or is it <laughs> like you have to do some convincing of it yeah well we, we've had people question why blockchain all the way from insurance companies investors vcs um, partners the, the reason that we decided to use the blockchain is one like i said it it, it starts to permit business processes that aren't necessarily don't there's capabilities that aren't out there without it mm -hmm. right and, and but what really turned me on to it personally was this level of trust that's that is able to instill in a process because of the way that the transaction is uh, imputed onto a public ledger or a private ledger or some hybrid thereof right so part of the driving factor with implementing blockchain into a cyber warranty, which is an insure tech company, is to start to create trust in the, in the world of finance. Mm -hmm. And we've all been around anyone who's you know, older than 20 years old has, has seen some form of a major financial institution collapse <laughs> in the past year, decade, 20 Multiple years. Times. <laughs> Et cetera, multiple times, the great recession all this mm -hmm. stuff. And, and what that is, is that's, that's an inappropriate level of risk taking by humans who are inherently driven to take more risk mm -hmm. or reward. Right. Right. So it's, it's an inherent human behavior, but, the, but the framework um, that, that wall street and that the world is operating within now mm -hmm. is, is inherently flawed or biased, if you will towards excessive risk-taking and the government has all these institutions that are supposed to cap that and protect that. They've done a very poor job. I I just saw an interview with the current treasury secretary saying mm -hmm. that they've done a very poor job on the <laughs> uh, risk parameters for balance sheets for regional banks. Just, I just saw this yesterday. So that's the person head of the treasury saying that they've done a very poor job. So, you're dealing with like, it's like trying to contain fire with paper or something. It's like, it doesn't make any sense. So when you start to put things on a blockchain and then you start to be able to take the data that's put on a chain and interact with it 
in a cryptographically protected manner in the form of a smart contract, which is data interacting with, with software written code on a chain. Right. So when, when that begins to happen, the transparency of what's occurring is there and it's mathematically or cryptographically driven by a preset or pre-agreed upon parameters. So when you start to build that framework into a financial company, you can inherently raise the level of trust that balances and guardrails are not just in place, or we're going to follow these guidelines from the Fed and then they don't. Right. Right. Or, oh, we didn't see, we didn't foresee uh, interest rates rising up that much. And that's why our, our, our treasury account has, you know, mark to market losses of such. And now people are panicking, which is what happened. Well, you can start to program programmically um, affect the, the equation of which you're going to operate into. And it becomes, um, it becomes like more immutable. It becomes more untouchable. So it's still driven by humans, but it can be reviewed by people and it can be preset to be driven only by certain outcomes. Right. right? So, so when that happens, you're completely able to lay, increase the level of trust. And, and a good example is, is a proof of reserve. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> blockchain will allow institutions now to look at the assets on a balance sheet or the assets backing another asset, like a line of credit, for example. A shipping company is gonna take out a line of credit for $10 million and they wanna know that the underlying bank that's writing that line of credit has the money there. In today's world, Sure, they say they have the money on the balance sheet, but it can also be loaned out by a factor of 10 or 20 or 30 through fractional reserve banking, where by law, they're allowed to say they have the asset. But if things start to kind of come in or implode, the value of that asset can shrink, where with a proof of reserve, you're cryptographically tying in a smart contract, a pool of funds that can't be touched until the smart contract is executed in some shape or fashion. So I make a bet with you. I say, Hey, look, Robert, let's bet on the game tonight, 50 bucks. And then I lose. I'm like, well, I spent your 50 bucks at the bar while I was watching the, you know, the dolphins lose. You're like, well, that's not my fault. Oh, sorry. <laughs> right? right. Whereas it's a proof of reserves scenario that $50 I have to enter it into almost like a like a digital escrow that then combines with our smart contract which is our bet <clears throat> mm -hmm. right and the and, and the smart contract will be driven by input from the nfl that says the final score of of the uh cowboys dolphins game was in favor of the cowboys right payout payout comes from this pool gets sent to robert digitally there is there is no other outcome that can happen when you put in a structure like that and you pose it against written contracts paper contracts government regulations which change on a regular basis yeah 
which would anybody prefer? Right. So well, yeah, um, that, 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 that is what, that was the driving factor of this level of trust and transparency and balance that yes, it starts to take away some of the human characteristics, but I think that's a good thing when, when regards, with regards to people's money, especially with regards to people's insurance, who they're paying into for an, an assumed incident of peril that could hit them at any given time. Right. Right. So, you know, so too big to fail, all that, it becomes, those things become really unremarkable because they're just not, not needed. The regulation just not really needed because right. if you can trust in math and trust and in, in a public ledger where other people can view it, the participants are beholden to, to the universe of participants itself by who is providing the highest level of trust and guarantee. That's the one I want. Right. They're not going to go to the to the legacy branded financial institutions because they have the biggest reputation or they're too big to fail. None of them are too big to fail. Right. Right. But if you can lock the asset to a contract in a way that can't be changed, even if everything is crumbling around it, well, you have an inherently high level of trust. And and I think right. that that is going to prove to be a, a tertiary benefit of, of the architecture that we've created. But it will be one that will be recognized strongly, probably at a time when it's needed most. And uh, it's one of those things It's like, oh, I never really wore my seatbelt until after I got into the, uh, <laughs> the fender bender. Yeah, and then, right. oh, man. You know, and, yeah. and so that's, that's kind of how you see these things. It's like, there, there's a the, the flat part of the hockey stick is starting to percolate. There's services that are starting to uh, to build on these things like proof of reserves and validations by third parties. They're they're there and they're happening. And now financial institutions are starting to come to them because they see the value in increasing that level of trust and transparency and trans transmissibility between themselves. So, but uh, I really don't think that they'll that aspect will be fully recognized until there is truly like another 2009 great recession meltdown and right he's trying to see the baby bath water tide going out who's been swimming naked type of thing you know? right right well so just one last thing i want to touch on and i mean i feel like you've kind of hover around things but what would you say is just a key takeaway for the blockchain tech and i mean it seems like the key thing is the the public not the publicity the the public facing nature of it where every, every, if all, if everything is written to chain there's no argument over whether or not a transaction did or didn't happen there's no yeah. you know like i've mentioned in episodes previously no he said she said it's just hey here's the transaction here's what happened or and, and you know some of the other utility tokens you can put more than just the transaction itself onto the chain so right um that th that's kind of what i'm taking away is, is there a different sort of uh is there any other key takeaway you think that people should know about blockchain if somebody's still hesitant about it maybe um yeah it, it provides it provides more than just a val a validation it, it validate these validations can be used in a number of different ways right it's not just he said this, she said that, who, who, who's, who's true. 
think about it in the context of like an insurance agreement or your insurance policy where <clears throat> there is a very broadly written document. It could be 10, 20, 30, 50 pages that leaves a lot to interpretation because it's very broad by nature to help protect the, the buyer of the policy from a number of situations. Mm -hmm. But then it leaves the object objectivity of the person who created the contract or someone from that company to say, well, this counts and this doesn't count. That's covered and this doesn't cover. Right. So it, it begins to eliminate that, which I guess maybe like you said, he said, she said, but it makes things more binary by nature, which is good in a lot of ways. That's not for everything. Right. But it, it's, it's good in a lot of ways, certainly for a validation of an asset. It's great. You know, we're at DLT, we're using it um, amongst other things to have our third party reinsurance company accept our claim with them. Right. So that gets all sent on chain. Right. And viewed on chain and accepted on chain. And then a payment is, is sent. So think about the process that that has eliminated. That's eliminated a human sending an email or picking up a phone or sending a report to an insurance company, them looking at it during business hours, and then maybe discussing it or having a, a review, a team review upon it. And then say, okay, we're going to distribute this, these funds um, at the next disbursement, which could be the end of the quarter. Or you have something that's done almost entirely automatically and transparently and truthfully nearly instantaneously right for pennies that i mean that's that that's a real world process that we've um <laughs> that, we, that we're using now yeah just right? a, so it, i'm not sure if that quite answers the question but it's uh oh i mean i i i, I feel like it does you know the a big takeaway, you know, by using blockchain as the backing, you know, it's publicly available, whatever the transaction was. And then on top of that, using the technologies, as we mentioned in previous episodes for DLT, we're interacting quickly. So your payout, yeah, yeah. instead of the uh, incident that we mentioned, I think on last week's episode, where they were took five, six months, and then I think their final check from the insurance company came two months after that. So sure. like from date of incident you're eight nine months post incident yeah like the incident happens and you're talking eight nine months later you're finally getting your final payout whereas with this utilizing the blockchain technology we're having that payout happen almost instantly which is yeah far better like it's it's all that time saving and especially as we mentioned you know the small businesses that can't afford to be down that can you know they can use that immediate payout money to help rebuild their infrastructure or whatever they need you know so I think that's, yeah. I mean, that's, that's definitely a good takeaway from what the technology Yeah, And the fact do. that it's, it's, it's uh, immutable. And if there's a question right to the outcome, well, here it is time stamped on a, on a blockchain that no one can affect. Right. So mm -hmm. here's the facts because the data came from your source. Here's, here's our smart contract that's encoded in, in time and is immutable as well because it's tied to your policy. And here is the outcome as per the interaction of the smart contract and your data, and it's put into immutable format. What's the argument? You might not be happy with the outcome, but there is no argument that right. this is what the data sources said and the validation said and the smart contract you can see. It's all, it's all here for you to see. 
Whereas, whereas today, the financial world is 99.9% operating in an opaque way, comparatively. Right. And that's, and that's, you know, I know which one I would prefer, you know, <laughs> you yeah. can, I mean, one, one method is you can see everything that's happening and there's no questions. The other is we don't really know what's happening, but yeah. But I think that, um, I, like I said before, I think that that recognition of the value of, of truth and transparency that uh, I said that to me is like an underlying motivator. I don't think that will be recognized until such time where things are really bad and, 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 it's needed more, right. people are searching for it more. But now a, a real value of this type of thing is more of just the user experience, the expediency of a payout, how easy it is to, to get my, um, my, my claim validated. Oh, that was easy, I didn't have to deal with anybody. This and that, here it is, it's all transparent in this report. Like that's what people are liking at this moment in time. Right. Right, it's a better process. Absolutely, but I think the real, yeah, the real, the real kind of juicy value will will be recognized over time um, as as things develop. But we'll see. You know? awesome. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe yeah. people will never care. I don't know. <laughs> well, only time will tell. Uh, right. And perfect segue. Speaking of time, I think that's going to wrap us up for this episode. Okay. Um. Uh. Yeah. So, um, as always, thank you for listening. Um. Feel free to leave us a review on YouTube for our podcast. And uh, hopefully we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening. Thanks, Robert. Thank you, everybody. Have a great afternoon.